it doesn't matter how much information that I get about power and privilege. I am always going to be a white social worker, right? Like I'm always going to be white. I'm not, I cannot get rid of my privilege by understanding it enough. We are in another episode of the Living Out Loud discussion series. Today, we are going to be exploring messages and behaviors of a white social worker who is going to let us unpack her experience. My name is Charmaine, relational DI expert. If you are new here, we are openly unpacking real life scenarios and issues that come up in professional settings. Every single episode, we have a goal to reveal the layers and the nuances in our interactions with each other so that we can learn about them as a community that cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, as always, the thoughts, views, and opinions that are shared in today's conversation, they are my own and not as representative of any of the agencies that I work for or I'm employed by. Thank you, Bryce, for doing this with me. I am really looking forward to our conversation, and I don't even know what the best title for this is other than exploring the messages and behaviors of a white social worker. Even though you are new to your MSW, that doesn't mean that you are new to social work. So I met you, student in my class this past semester, and we had some really interesting interactions. And I remember, and I told you this, that your process of introspection and then ability to share out with people was done in such a way that I hadn't necessarily seen before. And I felt like it could be very helpful for people to hear it. Not that you know all the things. It's just your process is really interesting and the way you communicate is interesting too. Before I get into that, I just want to give you an opportunity to take some space, share who you are, what you're doing, and whatever you feel is important to you. Yeah, I'm also really excited to be recording this, mostly because I think that it's important for people to talk about their experiences walking through some of these things, and I'm glad that I can share about it, and hopefully it's helpful. I just graduated with my MSW, as you know from Dominguez Hills and our program is really special in a way that it's centered around critical race theory, which I found so incredibly important in my experience as a white social worker. And I've been doing social work. Oh my gosh, like how do we categorize social work, right? Human services. It's like such a breadth of work, but for quite a number of years. And uh, I worked initially with adults on the on different spectrums of neurodivergence that needed support in vocational training. And I started working with folks and I started seeing the impact of systems, folks that were plugged into like regional centers and having caseworkers and the families trying to work within the system without knowing all of the information. And I just became really curious and really frustrated at the same time. Mm -hmm. And there was this part of me that has always been really frustrated with why things are made so difficult for folks that need more support. And I started to develop this curiosity of what can I do in those spaces? And I was a return college student. I think that's also important to share for folks who maybe don't know yet what they want to do, where they're moving, or they're recently coming into social work from a different angle or a different point in life. And I went back to college after dropping out horribly. And I spent a lot of time in school, working and being in school and kind of taking things slowly. And during that time, I worked at a shelter with folks experiencing homelessness, folks that were unhoused. And I got to see so many different facets of the human experience of being unhoused and why folks are in that space of needing more support, the things that folks bring in with them in that space. And how little support there was. During that time, I was working as a housing coordinator and I would have these folks come in and we worked under a housing first model, which I really like, which is if you are able to help somebody find stable housing, they're more likely to be able to get support for other things, substance use disorder, mental health, these different areas. 
But again, like finding myself feeling really frustrated of why can't we find ways to connect folks to these resources sooner and then folks, their own individual barriers of getting connected and like wanting more. So when I ended up getting my MSW, it's uh, it's a big so many things social workers can do right and it was like this space of i'm just somebody that really loves connecting with people but also feels like that's not enough that's yeah not enough and so i know that's like a really long way of explaining who i am but i think social work has become so deeply embedded in the things that i do in the spaces that i enter i'm also these like other things i'm a mentor to women that's a really big part of my life um and uh, I'm a fitness coach, which is like a weird thing I never really expected to become. But it's like this area where I'm like, I just really love like connection and helping folks realize their power and kind of breaking down these ideas of what it means to be healthy and well and finding kind of your own path, just moving in your body because our bodies carry so much. And all of these things put together create this space of just like exploration. And I really, if I was to define myself as something, it's an explorer. That's a really long explanation, <laughs> but it's a little bit about me. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I am really looking forward to getting into our convo. And I think a good place to start is our first encounter because I think it like highlights this interaction that we've been talking about. And I, from my perspective, remember... I don't know if it was the first or second. It might have been the first. But one of the first days of class, you came up to me to ask me some questions. And I remember, oh, my gosh, what was the question? You wanted to know, one, about the amount of time that you talk. Are you talking too much or too little? Are you taking up too much space as a white person in a classroom? And that filtered into questions about, what you were not doing with a client. And I was just, I just remember thinking, oh goodness, on the first or second day of class, like, this is really interesting. And you were just so receptive to it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to start there and just ask like from your perspective, what was happening and let's just see that. Yeah. I'm giggling to myself, remembering the energy with which I, like, it was like a bowl. Like I was like, I need help. And I don't know what it was specifically about the way it was our first day of class. It was the first time I had met you. It was the first time that I had had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. But there was something about the way you moved through the room that I felt this is a person I can ask these questions with. Uh, and I also think I was ready to be receptive. And I think mm -hmm. there was like a journey before that, which I will probably end up talking about as well as we unpack some of this stuff. But by the time I got to your classroom, I was in my second year of the social work program, entirely based on critical race theory. And what I love about Dominguez Hills is they really focus on integrating that into the curriculum at all levels, which I got continued exposure, the tenets of critical race theory what that looks like in my life. But I also was one of very few white students in the program. So I was getting all of this information and I was experiencing fragility, which I didn't know that's what it was at the time. I think what I didn't talk about in my intro as much because it's more about my life and the places that I've lived, but I hadn't, I didn't grow up in a lot of spaces where we were talking about privilege right or where I was talking about what it was to be a white person in America and I lived in New York and I lived in areas that were diverse in their nature and I thought all of these things of I'm a social justice person that's something that I believe in and but I had never taken a look at my own internalized stuff or the way I grew up or the way that my whiteness affected others and so I'm getting all of this information and I don't know this discomfort and this feeling like this yucky that's what it felt like. It felt like I am just a garbage person, which I wish I had different language, but that's really how it felt. And I felt so ignorant, like I had never felt before. And I was sitting in this space and unpacking all of this stuff, but alone because I didn't feel 
for whatever reason, I didn't feel like I could just like openly, I don't know if it was like put that on my classmates or that I was, I think there's also this part of me that was scared to let others know how ignorant I realized I was. But when I came into your class, you made this space of, and you had said something, and I don't even know if it was that first day, but about, yes, we have privilege, but like, how are you going to use it to be a social justice individual, to be a social worker? And it hit me that I was like, I know nothing. And this person knows something. And maybe I can ask her. And we had this conversation about taking space and making space. And we'd been having that conversation in classrooms a lot. And I was like, I don't know how to do that because even in my making space, it was about me. It was about like, oh, I want to like step back and make space because I don't want them to think that I'm taking space. Mm. I don't want them to think that I'm being that person, right? Like they are probably so sick. It's, it's for you. It's still about, I don't want to be that person. And so I was like so stuck in that. And I remember I asked the class, can you support me not taking so much space? And I didn't know, I didn't even have the language to know what I was asking for. And so I came to you and I was, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm experiencing these things. I know that they're important. What do I do with them? And it opened up this conversation where I wanted to talk about how I was practicing critical race or how I was applying critical race theory as a white social worker with my clients that were from different backgrounds and had different experiences. And what I shared with you was that I wasn't broaching the topic of race with clients. For some reason, that felt so scary to me. And I remember what I said to you is I'm scared that as soon as I say I'm a white social worker. They're going to go, I knew it. They're going to be like, I don't want anything. Like, And you were so gracious and just like honest and strong with me about the fact that they know, right? Like it's already a thing. And that I, not only being in the position of, at that time I was practicing therapy at a predominantly white institution. So my my students that were coming in that were not identifying as white were already in a space where they were feeling minoritized. And my cat's sneezing eight times. I'm going to just kind of interject then from what you were saying. There's two things coming up for me as you're sharing that. One is what my perspective was in what it continues to be when I'm a person of color, a Black woman teaching other people, especially white people. And then the other is something that we probably should have talked about at the beginning was how do we have this conversation in a way that honors your process but doesn't feel like oh look at this wonderful white person who and I don't even have the right words but you know what I'm saying how do we do it in a way that doesn't feel like praise for a necessary struggle Mm -hmm. Although I want to honor the fact that you're doing the work. So I don't even know how to phrase it other than that. I'm sure there are better words. But do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's this idea. And I look at it as a really broad thing. of Like possessiveness. And that there are folks. Maybe who can identify with this feeling. That I was reflecting on there's something to own. And like I did it. And I've accomplished this thing. Or it's not this thing of look at this person who's accomplished this. Because that's not, a you don't accomplish it. I'm never, I am never going to be done, right? So it's not even, look at this person who did it. Because I don't feel that way. It's actually the work is, hey, do you realize that you don't know and you will never stop learning? And so I don't know how, like you said, like I don't know what the words are to make sure that people know this isn't, oh, hey, look, I did it. Like. I know what it is, or I know the perfect way to be a white social worker. That's not a thing. It's going to be different for everyone. And it continues. I will never, I will never understand the experience of another person who doesn't have the privilege that I do when I enter a room. Everybody's Mm -hmm. is going to be different. And if I'm not, if I already think, oh, I got it. I know how to be the white social worker. So I know how to enter this space with humility. 
that's actually not giving the other person the experience to let me know what it means for them. Right. There's like, yeah. So I think the big thing is it's not like, oh, praise for an accomplishment. Oh, I was yeah. a decent, I was a decent human being. I have some humility. Yes. Okay. I like that. That feels good. We'll use that as the framing because I, the other part too is I am somebody, I am a person of color, woman of color who is in a lot of spaces of teaching and growing and developing people. And a lot of those people are white people. And it's interesting because it also comes with this experience of, well, I don't always want to do that. I don't for lots of different reasons. So I try to pick and choose when I do go into spaces, knowing that everybody's there to learn something, hopefully. And if someone's coming to me, I have already positioned myself as someone who's there to help people learn. So be it in a classroom like we were or an organization or anything like that, I frequently have to weigh, do I want to do this today or not? And I am a pers person, there's part of my privilege and power in this space that is here to teach. So I have to do that a lot. Now, I remember that day and I was completely fine, but it is a thing. Like, how much of this is mine to teach a person? So when you come up to me as a white student and you're like, help me, I don't know all the things. Like, what do I do? Like, my first frame is, do you want to do this today? Yeah. Do you want to do it? Do you have the capacity to do it? What can you tell this person so that you're not giving all the answers, but you're walking them through to sort out whatever it is they're experiencing, which is a lot of work on my part. So I'm constantly bouncing if I want to. And then what's my responsibility as the person who's chosen to be the teacher in the space? So that's something that was real when we were meeting and I was completely fine to be there with you. And your response to made it wasn't like I was just pulling it out of you. I have found that sometimes people from that space that you were talking about, I don't know anything. And this person does, wants to go to the person that does and tell me everything I need to know so that I can do it right over there. It wasn't like that. So I think that's, to me, a really good indicator of someone wanting to grow, going for help asking for all the answers to do different versus going for help, knowing that you'll be taken through your own, you figure it out what's happening here. So you decide what to do is a very different process. And I remember we got to do that. And I appreciated that about, about you. You did that a lot. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you. And it had me thinking too, it's really important to say it is not folks of color's responsibility to teach white people how to walk through this process and because when I hear you saying that it, it's true like I couldn't go to people and say help me with this thing that is like my responsibility to confront it and yes asking questions but yeah not putting it on you of you need to give me the answers to fix right or finish or do it right I think that all of that is built into the experience of privilege, wanting to own it, wanting to fix it, wanting to, like, it's, and it's not fair to put that on somebody else. But that's a yeah. hard space because it's also like really lonely. I think I shared with you, I'd asked somebody for help and they were like, or I had this idea in my head that the response they gave me was like, read white fragility, right? Yeah. I was like, okay, like, I can read this book and I can learn these things. And maybe at the time they gave me more, but I wasn't receptive. I can't remember where I like looked it up and all I found was this book. But I just remember feeling like, this is all I have. And it's not true. There's a lot of resources out there of where folks can go and talk and using those resources. And I think also what you said to me too, or what you're saying right now has me thinking, I could have also asked, right? Hey, do you have the capacity to talk to me about some of these things that are coming up? And I think that's when I reflect back on what I maybe was still learning then is to ask, hey, this stuff is bringing up stuff for me. Are you the person I, I can ask about this? Do you have the space for If not, do you have any suggestions for me? No, that's cool. Not your responsibility. I would have, like, that I would love, not just thinking back on that one scenario, being asked that. That's a question I think my friends and I, we do with each other just in general mm -hmm. when we hit each other up for stuff. Do you have the capacity to hear 
or for me to because we understand bandwidth and capacity. So when you just said that, I thought to myself, just all of the scenarios flashed before my eyes of people coming to me for stuff. And I thought, well, how wonderful would that be if people asked me if I had the capacity first? It's just when you're a person, when you're DEI lady, and I happen to be that lady no matter where I'm at. So when you're that person, people are just drawn let me go to this person to get the answers that I've been seeking. I don't have all the answers, but that's just how it feels. So I was just, I just had a whole visceral response when you said, <laughs> what if I asked? I thought, wow, that'd be amazing. <laughs> that'd be so great. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. And then, see, now you got me thinking. It also, because of this historically and then my experience so historically for black women in professional settings which is also my lived experience this idea of having to work really hard and do all the things and be super knowledgeable in order to be seen as equal i don't know if better is a thing but the equal as other people doing less work when anyone comes to you another thing that i will do is well, let me do this so I can do a good job, even if I don't have the capacity to. I, I also make a decision to serve too much from a place of internalized depression. I have to pay a lot of attention to that. So there's a lot going on in someone like you to come to me. And then there's so much going on with me having to respond, deciding to respond and how. So it's just interesting to have this dialogue that I just literally talking out loud, realizing stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it has me thinking too. It's, I just, it has like my juices flowing, right? Of, yeah. I don't know if folks it, from positions of power and privilege and whiteness take that into consideration. Not very much, no. Because it's uncomfortable and there's that ownership that I was sharing about of like, it's about how I feel that I'm uncomfortable to fix it. Mm -hmm. Not taking mm -hmm. into consideration what anybody else is feeling the space that they're coming from am i putting this person in a position where they're going to feel obligated or based on their experience it's going to bring something up in them that isn't serving them am i, mm -hmm. am I even am i even considering or is it about me right because that's a, it's always it's always well i want i need i deserve why yeah. and it's so hard for me to look at why oh that's my privilege I wanted to cuss, but it's there it is again. And I think when we look at like continuing the work is it's really easy to just not look at that stuff. It is really mm -hmm. easy to just whatever. I'm going to keep moving through the world in this way. But it's yeah. a really selfish thing to do mm -hmm. to just continue to move through the world in that way. Yes. So that's have me thinking about. You had said something earlier that I just want to know if you can expand on a little bit and mm -hmm. you it was like a window into what you were being taught as a white social worker so not even necessarily a social worker but you were talking about the white fragility book and I remember you were telling me a story before that the sense of and I know today you said something a little different than before so it's okay but I'm like it's the book of white fragility I remember you saying all I really got was this book and people said do this and you're good to go and you were like, what? This is it? So I, if you can just give a little bit more window into what that's like, what are you taught? Are there, is there support for growth in this area as a white social worker so that it isn't necessarily something that you are looking for people of color for? I'm just so curious about that. Yeah. So I want to say too, there probably are resources out there that I don't know about yet. So if you're a white social worker, if you're wanting to explore some of this stuff and I don't mention a resource that you found really valuable and there are things out there, I'm not saying they don't exist. I just didn't look for them or I didn't find them at the time. But yeah, I felt like I just had this book written by this white lady about these feelings that I was going to have. And then I had read up on the book and there was like some conversations about that book essentially wasn't enough. And I 
didn't know. I, I just was so lost. It's really the best way that I know how to describe it. And I had heard about different spaces and programs where there's like white people for black lives. There are different organizations of folks having these conversations about what it is to be white and to support folks of color. I still didn't feel like I had enough understanding of my own privilege and whiteness. And I didn't feel like I had looked at enough in myself to even enter those spaces. And I also felt like I didn't want to go into, I don't know really how to describe it, but it was like I didn't want to go talk to other white people about being white and I know that kind of sounds strange but that was just what I was experiencing I was like I think I've talked a lot about that what would it be like if I just listened what would it be like if I stopped trying to like I said before like complete something like all of that was driven and if I know more I'll be better instead of I don't know anything and so I got White Fragility. I got this book, White Supremacy in Me, and it had these different writing activities in it. And I started to look at this stuff and these feelings that I was experiencing. And I started to look at my experience in classrooms that were predominantly folks of color where I started to feel like I had to mask. And I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want people to know that I didn't know anything. But I also knew I didn't know anything and I wanted them to think I knew something. And so I just started like masking and yeah. retreating into self. And it was really, yeah. And in terms of like resources as I had to start being okay with that experience of not knowing, like I had to start being okay with this is not something that I'm going to accomplish reading a book, right? This is my entire life. I have been in a position of privilege and I have never turned around and looked at what that is. Right. I have never been in a space where I was where I was asked to look at my whiteness and I'm not just going to read a book and know everything about what that is. I have to be willing to not know. And I started coming into spaces with that perspective of I don't know what is this feeling? Where is that coming from? What am I assuming about what people are thinking about me? And oh, my God, I have no tolerance for being uncomfortable. Oh, my gosh, I have no tolerance for being a, a minority in a quantitative way of being right. like I was like right. oh this is wow this is what folks experience really often the my the most minor fraction of that and I can't stand it and I want to hide and I had to start writing what was coming up for me wait hold it. on I will pause yeah. right there I am so curious from your place of knowing the retreating and the not knowing. And I'm curious about how this translates to your behavior. And I really wish I remembered you just said the word. I cannot believe I can't remember Masking. it. I had no tolerance. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So the no tolerance spaces, do you have a sense of, do you have a sense of what that looks like behaviorally? with other people and if you do let me ask do you or not do you yeah okay then share what that is but also share how you knew what it was yeah so and I will say this is this is hard to share because I wish it wasn't true that my behavior I guess my feelings I don't know how much it translated into my behavior but I felt defensive I felt angry and I think the way that translated into my behavior is I was so closed off so I stopped reaching out to my peers and so I became very lonely in a program that I didn't need to feel lonely in my cohort mates would go have lunch together and they would go, I like it actually I feel like I missed out on a lot of opportunities of connection because I was I totally retreated and my behavior was like I didn't want to engage in conversations because I didn't know how to take space, not take space, talk about these things. And I didn't know how to be har helpful, harmful, contribute. And so I just stopped engaging. And when I would be in classrooms, I would come in early. I would sit by myself. I wouldn't talk to folks. I wouldn't raise my hand as often, which if anybody knows me and maybe are getting a sense here, 
I'm pretty like lively and unhinged and weird and wooey. And it's very obvious when I'm not. And all of a sudden I was becoming so isolated. And the the way that I, if you ask this question of like, how did I start to identify that behavior? Is that what you asked? Yeah. Like, how do you know, how did you come to know that's what you were doing? Mm-hmm. I think I knew that the anger and the defensiveness wasn't actually prompted by anything that was happening on the outside world like nobody was actually doing anything to me and Mm. I remember that I was yeah I was just all this perception that I was having I'm getting like warm thinking about it because it was I think about so many folks who maybe get stuck in that space of angry and defensive and then it turns into this flipping over of privilege isn't real or I earned my keep or how dare you challenge these things in me or I have a right to have these conversations. And I found myself looking for other ways where I'm not in positions of privilege. To, oh, I know what it's like, right? Like I was raised by queer moms or like I identify as a queer person or I'm a woman and those things are true. And those things are valid. And those are positions where I'm not entirely holding power and privilege. However, those are entirely different from my identity as a white social worker. You know what I mean? I just didn't want to look at it. And so I think I get a little bit like a little emotional thinking. If you are stuck there, I hope you can start to notice if you're like hearing these things of I'm also experiencing it, not you specifically, of course, listeners. I'm experiencing this feeling of defensiveness and aggression. There was something there for me. And what ended up happening is I was in a group project. I'll share this kind of briefly. And it was interactive and it was talked very openly about me being a white social worker. And it was really called out the way that I affected others by not looking at how I'm taking space. And I left feeling so angry and betrayed and defensive because I had never had it openly called out. I'd been doing this work internally. I'd been having these thoughts of maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I don't know these things. And then I had folks going, do you know that that is also you perpetuating? Do you know that that is also you being in that position? And these folks that are just calling it out. And I am like, how dare they make me so uncomfortable? Right. And so I was like, this is not this is not resonating with me. And I ended up doing some writing about the fear that I was having. Why is this? Why am I so angry and defensive? What am I so scared of? And I was really scared that because I was a white social worker, I was never going to be able to actually help folks that were from different spaces. That, that my power and privilege separated me in a way that wasn't I wasn't able to be helpful. But it was like that anger and that defensiveness that I had to sit with and to go, that's not my nature. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. These people are lovely. I really want to be friends with them. I really want to connect. And I had to sit in that and go, what is that? Because it's not them. It's not these right. conversations. It's in me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You have said multiple things that have me thinking lots of things. This happens a lot. So I'm like, which direction to go? A little while back, you were talking about the places that you went behaviorally. So it was the defensiveness, the anger, and then even the interesting, like, associating with a piece of oppression here so that you look I know what it's like to to get away from this introspection that you're talking about the avoidance of the introspection and that process that feeling in that process and being able to go through that continuously because it's a continuous thing Being able to go through that is important or you do get stuck there. People get stuck there. And when you're stuck there, you get stuck in the ration. There's so many good rationalization thingies going on. It can make all the sense. I say this from, you had said, not you, but white. I'm like, I 
have done, still do. I have to be very aware of me doing the same thing for lots of reasons. So I know this process as well. I have had to deal with it and still do. So I don't want to separate myself like, yeah, y'all over there, it's me too. I think it's a little different, a lot different between you and I, but there are some similarities that I can understand the stuckness and the struggle. But I felt when you were like, don't get, don't get stuck there. Like I felt that and I've Mm. seen people so stuck. I've seen people really struggle through it and come out on the other end of knowing that that's just part of it and I can build the capacity for it. And then I've seen people justified in the rationalization that they came up with or the multiple ones that they came up with to stay distanced from really understanding themselves and the things that they do. So that was like really interesting. And when you were talking about separateness, I'm like, there's always good, there's a separateness in general from maybe not understanding or having the same life experiences, but there's a separateness from people, a disconnection from relationships and community when you're literally cutting off that part of yourself and not doing the introspection. Because what you're describing, the defensiveness and the anger and the moving away from is truly disconnection from what's happening in the self, therefore unable to connect with others, which is why like in the work that I do or the work that me and the consultants do at Living Unapologetically is really trying to help people be right here in this. What is all of this going on? How can we help you be here and sort this out so that you can be with others and understand them? And what I'm hearing you say is, one, I don't know everything. I don't got this figured out, but I have figured out. I definitely have had internal stuff I have rationalized my way away from, and that didn't help. So now... Did you ever get to a point where, was there any catalyst moment or any things where you realized, okay, this isn't working for me? This anger, this distancey stuff, this blame, defensiveness, did you ever get out of that? And if so, how, what happened? Yeah, so I lost an AirPod. Please hold. That's cool. We're <laughs> <laughs> back. Um, oh, gosh. So I... Oh, my God. Already, there were just things that you said that inspired so much in me. So I'm trying to. You can reply to those two. There's no rules here. Yeah. I was thinking about. Gosh, first of all, how uncomfortable that anger and that discomfort is and how real it feels. It feels so real. And those rationales can feel so believable. And I just (laughs) want to acknowledge that for folks. And I think it was important for me to remind myself like why I was doing the work. And I think that shifting point for me of where it wasn't working was I did that group project. Oh, it's the hardest day. It was the hardest day. I left after getting that feedback and I went into the bathroom and I cried and I was like, I'm, I don't want to be in this program anymore. I don't think I can be a social worker. That's how little tolerance I had. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting once I'm on the other side to be like, that was like my tolerance of, I am so unwilling to be uncomfortable with this. I'm going to give up this thing I love, right? Because I don't think I'm doing it right and I have to do it perfectly. And mm-hmm. there was something you said that made me think, oh, it was, it doesn't matter how much information that I get about power and privilege. I am always going to be a white social worker, right? Like I'm always going to be white. I'm not, I cannot get rid of my privilege by understanding it enough. And I think that was like the thing I was like trying. I think that was like the anger and the frustration is I just wanted to be rid of it. I just wanted to be somebody else. I just wanted it to be gone because I just didn't want to have to take responsibility for what that was because it felt too hard and I didn't want to have to be that person who was having to do the work because I don't want to do hard things such a baby and that's okay it was like a spirit like I was spiritually and emotionally just very immature in that way of I don't want it I don't it's hard but I can't not be white right um Mm -hmm. and so 
I, I went to the bathroom and I like cried about that because I, I had that breaking point of realizing I either am going to step away from people I really care about, people that really inspire me, something that is so important to me, or I'm going to look at it. And because I had that moment where I did that, I did this writing and I looked at, I had my, I went to my mentor and he was really straight up with me and he was like, oh, are you having a hard time feeling like you're a little different because of the way you look? Is that hard for you? This is like everybody else's experience and you're just going to run away from it. And I was like, shoot, you're right. And he had me write out all of the fear that was coming up because he saw the fear behind the anger. And I think it was really helpful for me to have somebody that I could trust that I could be so transparent with. And that was when I saw that underneath it all, it was like, I don't think that I have the capacity. What if I don't have the capacity to be a social worker because I'm white? And also, what if I don't have a capacity to do this work and like, be in these spaces and not take up space and not be harmful and to look at these things regularly. Mm -hmm. And that was that shifting point of, so what, are you going to not do it? Yep. And I had to be like, no, I can't just not do it because it's hard. Yeah. Yes. That is your story is making me think about why we approach the work the way that we do with this it's clinical in nature i'm sure that you the way that i facilitated the classroom is the what i do anywhere else i go so it's very experiential it's very hey everyone let's sink into the moment and see what's going on here to do that mm -hmm. it's the i believe the missing piece in any DEI work, DEI being this huge umbrella, which includes this work that you're doing, this individual work that you're doing to undo, redo, unlearn, relearn, all of that other good stuff. But the, it feels very clinical. So not that it's our job to be therapists for people, but I do feel as people that are facilitating spaces and learning, it is our job to be able to hold moments and see what's happening and get people to be in their own moments going later and doing the journaling and using your own support therapist and, and all of that is very important and that is I think required for many people I would highly encourage that it's just the way that spaces are facilitated needs to hold some of it so that it can exist and people can learn in the moments learn what's happening, and then go figure out what to do later on their own. So I just, I appreciate what you're saying because it's just really shining a light on, I think when people think of this type of work, especially in the context of professional settings, which can include classrooms, it can include workplaces or anything else that's related to that. I think we over-associate it with like work professional tasks. When I'm here, I do this thing. I'm going to learn this stuff so I can do this at work or do this in the classroom. But it's not like that. It is not a separate thing that you come and do in that space because it is so personalized. It touches on the deepest parts of us, all of us. It cannot be separate from it. It can't be a work tasky thingy. It can't be this intellectualized cognitive piece of information that we learn. And you were talking about that earlier. It is so much more emotional and relational with self and others. I just, I'm going to say that until forever. Like I just, it's just missed so much and it's coming out of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates a lot. I think we want to do a weekend workshop. We got it, right? <laughs> I got my certificate. Like, <laughs> Or what? No, that's going to help you too. And that's not to say exa exactly what you're saying, which is, yes, go to those places, learn those things, be in those spaces. But remember, it's not an it's not a, an end an ends to a means. You don't. I didn't just. Oh, there, I got it right. I have to continue to be open to the fact that I said this before, and I'll say it over and over again. I will never fully comprehend another person's experience and I will never fully comprehend my privilege because I was never asked to look at it. And I will, I, 
hope that I continue to ask myself those questions of, okay, why do I think I deserve that? Why do I think this space needs to be mine? Why do I think that I'm entitled to that? How am I affecting the folks around me? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm just thinking about like a hundred different directions to go. And I think it'd probably be good to wrap up with some modeling. Everybody's journey is different. If anything, I hope people are walking away with this exists. It always will. The re- like understanding self and not just the things you like and don't like. I mean, truly understanding what you're experiencing, why you're experiencing it, where it comes from. Yeah, what are your go-tos? How do you get out of your go-tos? How do you process the things you need to process? All of that stuff is part of it. And I think when people say self-awareness a lot, it's not just self-awareness. It is it is this deep self-work. I need to have a better word for it. I'm really hoping people understand that. And I think it could be helpful to do some modeling real time. If that's okay with you, I'm just going to ask maybe like one or two questions and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. Then is there anything, what are you currently doing or not doing that you, yeah, what are you not doing that you know you should be looking at right now? And like, why are you avoiding that? What a great vulnerable question. I think what was coming to mind that I touched on earlier when I was talking about resources and that there were groups of white social workers and white folks having these conversations and I want to be really clear that my point that I didn't utilize them or that they didn't resonate with me at the time was not because they're not useful and helpful and important. I was just experiencing my own fear of being ignorant. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason that your question sparked that is what we also talked about being the responsibility of learning about privilege and what that means on folks of color is also not necessarily the right answer. So when I look at what I'm not doing that I should be doing and that I do in, in little ways more interpersonally that I need to do more professionally is having these conversations with folks about their privilege and what is their experience looking at it and what my experience is looking at it because I think that there is this opportunity to have this conversation where when people get angry and defensive right? I don't have to take that personally because I understand that experience that it might be their own stuff. And am I doing the work to share the importance of looking at these things? So I think that was like the first thing that came to mind that I'm not doing that I want to be doing more is having these conversations with other white social workers about, hey, are we continuing to look at this professionally, interpersonally in life? What am I doing to continue to learn And then I haven't been working. I'm starting my job on Monday. (laughs) I'm a little nervous. But I think what I should be doing too is taking the time to look at, okay, I'm entering this new space. Am I looking at, I like this practice that we did in school. If we looked at the critical race theory tenants and we looked at actions associated with being more social justice focused. And so I have this sheet that is direct things that I can do when I'm entering a space responding to microaggressions, uh, feeling safe doing so because I come from a different place of privilege, right? Entering a space and asking how I can be helpful there or can I just be a listener there? Really looking at these are simple actions that I can take that align with me looking more openly at my own positionality. And then I think also reinforcing this idea of it's okay to not know. It's okay to not have it figured out. I don't have to come in with all of the answers. I think that ties back to my wanting to learn things, right? It's okay for me to come into a space and ask those questions. So is there mm-hmm. something that would be helpful for me to share here? Right? Yeah. So have me thinking. I want to go back to the first thing that you said, because there was a part of the question that you didn't answer. Oh, and it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You were talking about not having conversations about whiteness with people that you knew or things under that umbrella. And the other part of the question is, 
why would you, why are you avoiding doing that? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe there's still part of me that doesn't feel like I know enough and also that it's hard, right? I think there's part of me too that doesn't like being uncomfortable and those are really uncomfortable conversations. And I think if I was honestly to look at it, that, and there's like a lot of, there's a lot of defensiveness and anger that arises in people when you're like, hey, Mm -hmm. do you know that you have this coming up? And maybe there's part of me that's, oh, that might be uncomfortable or they might perceive me a certain way if I bring that up in them. Mm-hmm. I think there's this other justifying part of my brain that's, you haven't really had the opportunity. Like, you haven't really. And I'm like, okay, please. You haven't had the opportunity to go out in the world and invite these conversations in. And I think the reality is when I have taken the time to have those conversations, they are uncomfortable. People don't, they don't want to look at it and they don't want to have that. But am I still scared to be uncomfortable? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to tell me, I don't want to look at that. And I'm going to say, if you don't, it's actually really hurtful. Do you want to talk about it? And they might say no. Okay, right? So I think there's probably part of me that still doesn't want to be uncomfortable. Yes. That feels so yucky to share and look at, but it is true. It's true and it is very common. Mm -hmm. If there was a word that's more than common, I want to say all the time, but it can't be all the time. It's a lot. And I know it doesn't feel good and I appreciate you being honest about it. Honest, not with me, but just honest with yourself. And I would hope that translates to you leaning more into that and taking action. When you said that, the thing that came up for me, I I thought this is a great example of what people of color are talking about when when we have to be the ones to say something. You know, because if we don't, then things can keep happening and, and the burden continues to fall on us to say or not say. So I just imagine other people hearing this just like I heard it now. I'm like, this is like the, this is an example of what we're saying when we say you get to be in the space and say, oh, it's hard. They're going to get angry and defensive. I was like, they definitely, like, they're gonna, yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that feeling, the anticipation of something that's so frequent for people who say something. Because that's the thing that we're talking about. This is a, it'd be great if we can get to a place in the world where it's shared. You don't have to be a person who identifies as whatever to then speak on a matter. We can all do that together. And as it stands now, it's lived for the most part as a thing we know we should do. But the practice part is what you're talking about. People do avoid it. And then again, it, it comes to us to have to say something. So that's just what came up for me. And I'm certain when people hear this, it'll be like, yeah, of course you don't want to do it. We already know all about it. Join the club. Right. (laughs) And that's like another, right, when we look at, like, how how am I still doing the work? And what my privilege, oh, I'm just not going to, oh, I can just, like, turn... Is that what you're going to do, Bryce? I have to ask myself that. Oh, you're going to put that on somebody else because it's hard? And I haven't, and I'm really happy we're talking about this because I haven't had like direct experiences yet where I've seen something and I've been like, oh, hey, like maybe we should address that. But I know when that comes and I experience that little, oh, this is going to be like, I will think about this conversation. Okay, Bryce, if not you, then who? And is that... Right. Is that where that should fall? Because there's also like a when I think about me being like a job space, like having that there's a protectiveness, right? I'm going to I'm going to help somebody else feel unsafe when I might be able to address this with my own experience. of Hey, you might be entirely unaware because you've never had to look at this, that what you're what you just said is really problematic. Right. Mm hmm. 
Yes. And you had said something too about one of your rash it's the one of your rationalizations to yourself. Do I know enough or I don't know enough? And I'm like, you kind of also admitted too that people don't know. Like pe- most people do not know. Mm-hmm. And no one knows everything, but you know what you know. You do know what you do know. And that is shareable. And there's also a humbleness in helping others from a place of not knowing everything because the goal isn't to go and just tell everybody all the things to do there is a invitation to someone's own exploration and thinking differently that is always going to be on the table for you to do people don't have to know everything to support people in their growth to challenge a bit to learn with people there's a co-learning process that can occur through helping others and, and I say this not to just to you, it's to anybody in this type of situation, anybody who's wondering if to say or not say something and whatever their internal process is. Yeah, there's just so much to this. I don't want to open another door. I feel like we can walk through that and it'll be a whole other thing. But I will just ask, is there anything else that you want to share on this topic before we wrap up? I think just quickly tying in what you just said to everything is I is that there are going to be things that will continue to arise for folks as they look at these at this stuff. Mm-hmm. And for me, maybe I know that for me, that little part of me that doesn't like to feel ignorant or that I don't know or they don't have it figured out, that's probably going to be the identifier for me. And if I'm going to apply to my practice to my life that it's okay to not know like you said I can embody that even when sharing my experience and that it's really helpful that we start to look for and identify what are the things that come up for you when you start to feel like maybe there's something you need to look at a little deeper and it might be different for different people some people might have a different experience where they lean all the way in where I like pushed away, but they might lean all the way in and they might want to buy all the books and know all the information and go to all the seminars. But like looking really behind that, what is coming up for you? You shared what you do in the classroom and in professional space of what's happening right here, right now for me. Where is this coming from? And knowing it's okay if it's weird and gross and feels, yeah, I did not, I do not like looking at those things. But I know that they're just, it's essential, right? It's so important, y'all. Look at it. Look at it hard. Look at it weird. You know what I mean? Look at it. Because it's there, right? It's not going to go away just because you don't want to look at it. And if you're not looking at it, you're living with it. So just knowing it's okay when that weird stuff comes up, it's okay to be vulnerable. Even right now, sharing that, oh yeah, that's so obvious. Nobody would want to have that conversation because people get angry and uncomfortable. Oh, that made me feel so, yeah, Bryce, come on. You know what I mean? That makes me feel so vulnerable and yeah, come on. Why are you need to be doing those things? But yeah, I have to feel that stuff if I'm going to be able to move through the world differently. So just knowing that folks like it's okay if it's weird and hard and feels gross, find the spaces that you can talk about it, write about it, look at it, you know, um, It doesn't have to define the way that you continue to live. It can redefine the way that you use that and work with that to be more helpful. Yes. I love that. That is a perfect wrap up. I'm not even going to add anything on top of that. I really do appreciate you letting us peek inside and sharing what you shared and your vulnerability. And I know there were a couple of points where it was like, okay, I'm gonna say this out loud. Like I saw it. I appreciate you so much. That's part of why that's probably one of the most significant reasons why I wanted to bring you on for an episode because you'll take the deep breath and you'll, you'll do it. You'll do it for the sake of modeling for people to understand. If people want to get in touch with you, Bryce, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, if we can leave my email in the description, I'll put that in my bio. Please reach out to me. Um, that's probably the best form of communication. And I would love any sort of conversations about this. We can set up Zoom calls, phone calls. I'm really open to talking to folks about their experience. 
Perfect. Perfect. And I'm also yeah. open to suggestions, resources. Send them my way. We gotta keep okay. learning, gotta keep growing. <laughs> Good. I need them. Oh goodness. Thank you so much for watching. If this was interesting to you, please like, share, comment, talk about this with people in your network. Get into dialogue. Always reach out. Visit me at livingunapologetically.com. Got all my social media handles on there. You can email. There's free tools and resources for you to deepen your practice. And of course, you will have access to my book, Bias Conscious Leadership, a framework for leading with action and accountability. Thank you again for watching. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and hope to connect soon. Until next time. Bye.